You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those that? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Alright, John, here we are. Just say something into that thing there. Ted, what are you talking about? I want to do this, alright? Come on, John, it's just a Fan Holes podcast. I don't know what Fan Holes is, and I don't want to be a part of it, alright? We, we just gotta do the intro. Look, it's not my job to say this, alright? It's just the Fan Holes podcast, John. It's not a big deal. I mean, they talk about all sorts of garbage. Well, look, tell me what you're gonna talk about today, okay? I'm a little curious right now, alright? Well, like pop culture, you know, science fiction, you know, a little like Flash Gordon there. Well, look, Dickie and Sully are waiting for me at a bag, so I gotta go, alright? So let's do this. And we're done. Now, was that so hard? Well, alright then. Say hello to your mothers for me, fan holes. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting, stupendous episode of the Fan Holes Podcast. This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be your host tonight, and I'm joined by three of my favorite fan holes for a crazy crossover comic book dare. So why don't you give a shout out, guys, and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, it's Brian Breakdown. Hey, it's Mike Thunderwing. Hello, this is Tony Chainclaw. Again, I have no witty like comment right now. That's perfectly acceptable. Well, well, neither neither did me or Brian, Tony, but we didn't draw attention to it. I like so, you. <laughs> well, with all this animosity, you can tell the crazy comic book crossover dare has really gotten into our blood. Uh, we're all ready to talk about various different comic crossovers. And uh, as opposed to, like, our normal kind of comic book, you know, movie, film, dares, or whatever. Like, I guess we'd all kind of assign one another different things that people haven't read. But, uh, you know, drawing attention to myself, Michael, um, I pretty much almost read every comic book crossover in existence there is. So uh, the other fan holes were nice enough to let me recommend some crossovers to them that they hadn't read. Um, I know Brian was already sort of in the process of reading Secret Wars 2, so we, we took pity on him. And, uh, you know, so we had him read Secret Wars 2. Um, but the other two crossovers, I guess, I, I was originally going to say, because if Justin was going to be here tonight, his crossover would have been uh, the Valiant crossover Unity. So I was going to kind of go on a rant about how, uh, even though some people might think I hate and deplore all 90s comic books, that a lot of these crossovers kind of, or, you know, at least Mike's started in 1989, and it's kind of borderline, you know, almost right there to 1990. And then, uh, you know, of course, Tony's is smack dab in the middle of uh, 
you know, 90s kind of crossover madness. And so, too, was Unity. So I was going to say that, you know, even though some people might think I don't like 90s comics, I actually genuinely like, you know, I mean, some people may have some negative things to say about the crossovers, and that's fine. But I, I actually genuinely like all the crossovers that, that we're going to discuss tonight that are from that particular era of comics. And then uh, for myself, there was just one crossover that I hadn't read. So uh, we'll get to that when we come to me in a second. But I guess uh, since we already kind of dropped the beans on uh, Brian's special crazy crisis crossover dare, uh, why don't we start with Brian and talk a little bit about uh, Secret Wars 2? Yeah, so... um. I have the Secret Wars 2 Omnibus, and it's huge. Uh, I think a lot of people with uh, Secret Wars 1 probably have, like, good feelings connected to it, because a lot of cool things came out of it, basically. And you get Spider-Man's black costume from it. You got that awesome... I mean, I know I had the poster of Secret Wars number 1 with all the Marvel characters, you know, jumping towards the frame, and it looks really cool. Um, and also Colossus breaks Kitty Pride's heart, so... A lot, of, a lot of good things happening in Secret Wars 2. I mean, 1. Um, when I read Secret Wars 2, I think my favorite part of it was probably all the hookers that are in it. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, it's not just, like, one instance of a hooker. Uh, to give a little backstory, I guess, the Beyonder actually, instead of, you know, getting all these villains and heroes together on a different planet and trying to study them there, he actually comes to Earth. And he arrives looking like the most confused cosplayer ever. Because basically he's a his costume's like an amalgamation of every hero and villain he he had taken away in the first Secret Wars, so he has like a Iron Man head and Cyclops visor on it and a giant X belt and just all this like every combination of hero you can think of is part of his costume. Um, so he's on Earth experiencing things, and uh, he's really not too much of a threat. He's kind of just chill and. Like, if you think of a maybe like a toddler with superpowers, I mean, that's about as threatening as he is through the first part. And then he gets hooked up with this gangster, and so I, I guess like our mobster-type gangster. And so the mobster's, like, first idea of what to teach Beyonder is like, hey, why don't you hang out with this hooker, Candy? And so, like, they spend a night together, and that's, like, that's the first instance of hookers in the story. And I'm like, oh, okay. But, I mean... What is it, like a nine issue? Like the main series, I think, is like nine yeah, issues. Yeah, nine issues long. Like, uh, part of it kind of charts the Beyonder's rise through the like mob system as he gains more and more power and more and more influence, because basically the guy can just you know summon gold out of the air. So with more and more power comes more and more hookers. And, like, so the next time you see him, he's, like, laying in the middle of a bed, and there's, like, 12 hookers around him. And you're like, oh, there's more hookers in the story. And then, you know, the next issue, he's on a boat, and there's hookers around him, and they're like, hey, when are we going to blow decks again, you know? Kind of, like, you know, insinuating what they're doing. And I don't know. There's a lot of hookers. I like, then, I like that scene where he's on the boat. And by this point, because part of the whole idea with the crossover is, like you said, he starts out as very naive. Like, I kind of think of him as like Jeff Bridges and Starman, where he's like an alien. And he's kind of like, what's a green light? What's a red light? Like, I don't I don't have any concept exactly. of what this stuff is. And so he's trying to experience everything. And so one of the things besides hookers that he gets taught about is food. And so, like, there's a funny scene where he's like, oh, yes, I will ingest this. And, like, he gets a, you know, a glass of beer 
or whatever, and he tries to eat the glass or whatever. He's like, this is very painful. Like, I don't know why you guys <laughs> like doing this and stuff. But eventually, like, they kind of, you know, the mobster kind of sets him straight and is like, look, these are utensils. This is a glass. You drink out of it, all this other stuff. And so he's eating, like, ice cream and everything. And I guess what I thought was funny was when he's on the boat, he actually looks kind of like the kingpin or the slug at one point because he's, he's eating so much like ice cream and, and, and cakes and all this stuff. And so there's this one scene where all the girls are like, oh, baby, you're so cute with your fat tummy. And he's like, I can read from your mind that you find me repugnant and repulsive. I will fix that. And then he's like, bam, you know, six-pack abs and everything's cool again. <laughs> they're like, yay, let's go get with the beyonder. You know, so. Hopefully when they rolled him around, he went, woo. <laughs> A really vague Futurama joke. Oh yeah, woo! <laughs> this man's been dead since last night. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I heard him say "woo." Yeah, that's just air escaping his folds. Yeah, woo! <laughs> I, I was going to tell you, Brian. Did you know that there is actually legal action from uh, DC Comics because the original title of that miniseries is going to be "Crisis on Infinite Hookers." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so basically he doesn't really become a threat until later on. I mean, uh, I haven't read all the tie-ins yet. Like it, like I said, this omnibus is like 1,200 pages or something, which is huge. Yeah, it, it is huge. I mean, besides Crisis on Infinite Earths, like this this was kind of probably Marvel's response to that of, of you know, having an ongoing crossover miniseries that basically tied into like every single fucking comic book that was – on the stands at the time, you know. Yeah, where, and the funny know, every... thing is, like, um, all the tie-ins are, like, so not significant, like, for the most part. I mean, he could show up in a Spider-Man comic and change, like, Aunt May's wheat cakes to pancakes and then split, and it'd be a Secret Wars 2 tie-in, you know? Um, I mean, basically, I guess it's just a promotional push to try to get people to buy every, you know, tie-in they could. But uh, I think I think the last legitimate tie-in was, like, five years later, like in 1990, and then in, in like a Deadpool issue, which is included in an omnibus from like 1998, you know, as a joke because it's Deadpool. They put the Secret Wars 2 tie-in and whatnot. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, a lot of things that I knew happened in this series like didn't play out like as hugely significant. Like I knew he dated Dazzler, but I mean, as you're reading it in the issue, I mean – you know, one panel he's taking her to, you know, Paris or whatever. Another panel he has her bedroom full of roses, and she just rejects them through, like, nine different panels. And then, you know, almost the romance is over. So I don't know if I've got to the tie-in where that plays a more significant role, but it, 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 I guess it didn't play, you know, as big as I thought it would. The only thing I really remember from Secret Wars 2 was, I, I think it's the first issue, maybe, but just, like, him and his, like, <clears throat> really 80s outfit with the open uh, neckline and the, the well actually more 70s outfit and he's just getting like you know like all like prideful as he stands like between this big group of heroes and he's like step aside heroes this looks like a job for the beyonder or something like that and he's like all like cause like yeah basically I think I think most people refer to him that outfit as like disco beyonder basically <laughs> you know cause he's kind of got that he's got that kind of weave or perm or whatever like basically the idea is he's like in the perfect body which he decides is Captain America's body but then he kind of has that that black perm kind of almost Michael Jackson looking haircut you yeah know? that's what they mentioned in the book he starts out like blonde and then he goes like black curly and they're like man you look just like Michael Jackson 
I, I thought maybe it, it might be worth bringing up uh, some of the characters that are introduced for the first time in this series. Like, I know us being Transformers fans, this is really technically just for illegal shenanigans, the first place that Circuit Breaker is introduced anywhere in uh, Marvel Comics. And then another person who I thought uh, had a pretty significant role in the story, and this is her first appearance, um, and it's kind of interesting discussing her as well, is uh, Boom Boom from, like, the X-Terminators, New Mutants, X-Force, what have you. So, like, there's two characters like that where it's the next first wave. time. Yeah, yeah, Next Wave. So. It's yeah, funny actually, how, like, uh, Beyonder kind of talks up Circuit Breaker, too. Like, he's rifling through all these heroes and checking them out, and he's like, oh, this one is of significance. What a powerful being, you know? And it's like Circuit Breaker, and then, you know, what, what do you ever hear of her after that, pretty much? Oh, uh, you know, I guess I know she's, she's Spike now. <laughs> so, so I was going to ask you, I know you said you didn't read all the tie-ins, Brian, but uh, did you notice there there was kind of like a failed aborted attempt to tie into G.I. Joe. Did you did you see that at all? I didn't catch it yet. Okay, okay. So, um, well, if anybody else is listening, if, if you're reading the Amazing Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man type tie-ins, I think it's an Amazing Spider-Man. They're, be on the lookout for a certain sergeant that tends to go comatose in the movies. Wink, wink. Like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's my, my hint dropping for that. But, um... You know, I, I thought Boom Boom was interesting because it's one of those cases where I guess I, I don't know exactly what you'd call this trope in comics, but a lot of times and I think, um, you know, uh, Jim Shooter, you know, was the guy who wrote Secret Wars 2 and he went on to do Unity. And I think it's worth mentioning that he it seemed like he made an effort to introduce female characters that were not hookers even though there are ton, tens of millions of hookers in this comic book. But the idea being, like, Boom Boom, when she first showed up, is not the most glamorous-looking girl. Like, she's a little kind of, uh, you know, she's kind of gawky-looking, you know? Like, her face is kind of angular, and she's kind of got a big nose, and she's wearing these, like... It's almost like she's, like, a, you know, gawky-looking girl trying to dress like Cindy Lauper or something, you know? Well, like her backstory is like she's like her her she's from like a broken home and she's like a Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, her dad like beat her up because she's a mutant and all this kind of stuff and you know, she wanted to go by the name Time Bomb and all this other kind of stuff. And I, I just thought that was interesting was there's even a scene where the Beyonder's like, hey I can I can magic you up, you know, and make you look all hot and stuff and she's like, no 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 don't you know, don't change my appearance. I want to look like, you know, how I was intended to look. But I, I think it's interesting to bring up because eventually it seems like a lot of those characters, even like, you know, like like Wonder Girl, like the, the you know, uh, Cassie version of Wonder Girl that's like in Young Justice. Like, she looks pretty, you know, glamorous in that. But I think when she first appeared, she was kind of similar where she kind of, you know, was this gawky-looking teenager and stuff. And it seems like eventually, like, invariably in comics, you know, the, these, you know, lady characters eventually all become, I guess, what people might term, you know, supermodel-looking. You know, I think I think if you look at Boom Boom's probably 
you know, maybe some of the more recent comics, whether she's in X-Force or whatever, you know, like, I guess what immediately comes to mind is, like, this ridiculous uh, Marvel swimsuit stuff where, you know, Boom Boom's, like, drawn by Rob Liefeld and she's in a bikini and Cable's in the back in his boxer shorts and, you know, well, stuff by, like by that. By that time, she's meltdown. Yeah, meltdown, and she's all, like, super hot, you know, or whatever. So I, I, I found that kind of interesting. And the thing I always remember about Secret Wars 2 is Spider-Man teaching the Beyonder to take a shit. <laughs> if Spider-Man prevails and we survive, tell him the Beyonder said thank you. Go in there, buddy. That, no, that's for flushing. Don't eat it. You know, like, like the Beyonder's like, I have a strange sensation in my lower abdomen. And like Peter Parker's like, what? What do you? Oh, crud. You're like, okay, come with me. And like he kind of like leads him into the bathroom and he's like sitting on the couch with his hands in his head. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I had to do that. Like, I don't know why I said a flashback with like short circuit. Shit? What shit? Me no see shit. You know? I, I kind of feel that's a good way of, of showcasing Spider-Man, even though he's not the most powerful character. It's not like he can, you know, fight one-on-one -on -one with the Beyonder, but they definitely play up, you know, even in his own tie-ins especially, because it's his own comic, but they, they kind of play up the aspect of, of what a, you know, morally responsible person he is and what a good-natured person he is. And the Beyonder, even though he's this, you know, omnipotent being, he's always kind of like, hey, you know what? I like that Spider-Man kid. He's a good kid. Let me go. Let me go talk to him and ask him how to shit and not eat <laughs> bottles and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like it seems like like there's this inherent trust in in you know that character. So that I think that Wasn't, is is a good uh, you know a good show. I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember. Um, that's where I remember the subplot was going on like around maybe the McFarlane era of Spider-Man. Where I think is that where like he finds like the gold notebook that the Beyonder yeah. made, and he's like, "Can I? Should I sell this?" Yeah, and, like, that's, get it? and that's then like he the, turns out not to do it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's where the gold notebook came from, because because the Beyonder turns the Heroes for Hire building. That, that's back, I guess, before he or it's either around the same time or right before he he hooks up with that gangster but people are starting to sort of teach him the value of money and he, but he doesn't quite get it yet he's like well if this gold stuff is so great i will you know pay you for you know your your fee like here your whole damn building's made of gold and of course the building can't support its own weight and it starts to sort of crush around and then all these you know, government ops guys come in and the kingpin's there and getting his solid gold typewriter as a payoff from Ronald Reagan because, you know, nobody in the comic industry is biased. They all love who's ever currently in charge. But, yeah, so Ronald Reagan's evil and working with the kingpin, apparently. Um, but, yeah, there's all this kind of goofy-ass stuff going on. So yeah. now, Even though this is, like, bigger in scope as far as tie-ins and stuff like that, do you think it's a little bit more of a character-driven story since, like, you know, in the original Secret Wars, you know, Beyonder whisks everybody away to, like, you know, Beyonder World, and he's all like, you know, what if I make this guy fight this guy, or this guy fight this guy, or if I give Doctor Doom ultimate power, and all this crap, and, like, you know, like, in Secret Wars, too, it seems like it's more like, you know, almost like a what-if, you know, like, what if the Beyonder became, like, a superhero, or, like, became, like, you know, curious about humanity? Do you think it's a little bit more of a like I said, more of like just more of a character piece, just on a epic scale. Yeah, I'd be down with that assessment of it. Um, 
it's kind of part of what I, I guess like I liked reading about it. You know, I didn't mind the um, naiveness or whatever. And I mean, it's just an interesting read to me because of that. I like to see his progression. I think like Korvac like is kind of like a Beyonder prototype in a way. Like Shooter seems to like flirting with this idea of of omnipotence and kind of like the the most real world setting he can create in in terms of you know a fantasy comic book type situation. You got guys like in Unity later on. You got guys like Solar and you know Erica Pierce, and there are all these kind of you know omnipotent reality changing people but when it comes right down to it i mean the relationship between like you know beyonder and the molecule man is very much just like two buddies who are mad at each other and get miffed but then it's like what happens it's like your buddy comes over and he's angry and then he wipes out half the universe and then you're like no no it's cool bro it's cool bro and molecule man's like fixing all the universes he destroyed you know like it's kind of it's kind of weird like on to think of things on that level but it's also very to me i thought you know it's kind of interesting i mean like like brian's saying there's lots of crossovers and and tie-ins that are not quite as meaningful and i think even within the nine issue miniseries there's some kind of schmaltz and stuff that you probably don't really need but i feel like the core of it is kind of like the, the the scenes with you know Owen Reese and and the Beyonder and and that whole kind of relationship that they have together because the through line is kind of like those you know those kind of characters you know you mentioned Deadpool earlier like I was thinking of uh the uh what if Deadpool was possessed by Venom because that was um that kind of takes place around that era because there's a whole period where like Venom pool, like hangs with the beyonder and like drunk Tony Stark in the alley for like a few months or whatever. And they're all just like sitting in the alley drinking. (laughs) That was, that was pretty funny. And like eventually like the beyonder has like a moment of clarity where he's like, what am I doing? You know, I'm like a (laughs) supreme being and I've just been like sitting here like drinking with you guys for this whole time. And like Deadpool's like, we we swore an oath, man, to keep it real. And the and the Beyonders like, I tire of realness. <laughs> well, he is a Beyonder, you know. Real to him is pretty subjective. Yeah. Another another thing I I think is worth mentioning is I think my favorite issue of the nine issues is number seven, where. Uh, Ben Grimm basically is all pissed off at him and he kind of wants revenge and wants to kill the Beyonder. But then I guess the way it breaks down is at this point in time, the Beyonder's like all contemplating his place in the universe or the multiverse or whatever. And so he's sitting there thinking on an island and all these sort of devotees and followers keep coming to this island and and mimicking him. So they're all kind of in this Rodan kind of pose or whatever, um, you know, and thinking and whatever on the beach. And, and they all kind of imitate that. But in the meantime, Mephisto is like plotting with like all the big deities in the universe, you know, like whether it's eternity or the living tribunal and all these other guys, death, you know? And so they're all kind of conspiring to, to take down the beyonder. And, and then Mephisto basically enlists like every single supervillain on earth to attack the beyonder at this specific moment to like distract them so that they can use this weird, kind of Jack Kirby doohickey machine to take him out. And I, I, I just thought it was cool because it was like, so you don't really get, I don't know. It seems like to me, like a lot of the times, like 
Ben Groom kind of gets thrown under the bus, you know, like where it's like, oh, he's not as strong as the Hulk or, you know, he's not as cool as, you know, I don't know, whoever the coolest character is, whether it's like Deadpool or somebody else or what have you, you know. And so here I just thought it was, uh, you know, it's like he's clearly angry. He clearly wants revenge against the Beyonder for, you know, basically he kind of thinks of it as he stayed on Battleworld and then in the meantime, you know, Johnny Storm hooked up with his girlfriend and, you know, he came back and he got, you know, basically left the Fantastic Four and like all this kind of bad shit happened to him after going, you know, after coming back from Battleworld. And so like he's there with like murder in his eyes, like he wants to kill the Beyonder. And what's interesting is Mephisto ends up signing the pact with him and gives him like this exponential power increase or whatever. But, you know, at the last minute, he has this change of heart where he's like, oh, shucks, you know, I can't let. I can't let all these, you know, you know, baddies like stomp all over, you know, the Beyonder like this. Like that's just wrong. And so he uses all this power, you know, to beat the shit out of everybody. And it's just a great scene where, you know, he's laying the shit out of the juggernaut and abomination and all these big heavy hitter bads because he's got, you know, his little power up and everything. And, you know, but just that he's sort of sticking it out there like, you know, fighting a good fight. I, I thought it was a good showcase for him as well. Yeah, did he do it in Ben Grimmies? Was he like, oh, man, I can't let these mooks team up on me like the Yancey yeah. gang used yeah, to do yeah. for me? <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It was just classic kind of Ben Grimm kind of stuff. So, so uh, I mean, what do you think about the whole omnibus thing? It seems like it's very comprehensive, at least. Like, that seems to be, uh, you know, your assessment of uh, of the omnibus. Like, would you recommend it to anybody who's listening? Um, if they can get it on the cheap, I ended up like negotiating and got it for like thirty five bucks. Um, that's, that's good, right? Yeah, I mean, especially well, what it, what I really started looking for originally was just more, you know, as like you and me like to say, super thing issues. Oh yeah, I like yeah. the you know mutated thing, and so um, I guess so they've got a like lot of the tie-ins were from this ish or war yeah, from the series. They got that whole Secret Wars 3 epilogue thing that happened years later or whatever. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that, that was my original, I mean, how I found out about the Omnibus, and then I just kept an eye out for a cheap version and ended up lucking out and finding one. Cool. Very cool. All right. So, uh, I guess that's going to wrap up our whole dealio with uh, Secret Wars 2. But we're going to move on to the next crazy comic crossover dare. And uh, on my Skype here next to Brian is uh, Mr. Tony Chainclaw. So uh, the crazy, wacky crossover that was from the 90s, like smack dab in the middle of the 90s here, uh, was Breakthrough. And Breakthrough was a uh, it was a two-issue miniseries that was from the Ultraverse, if anybody remembers the awesomeness that was Malibu's Ultraverse. It was kind of like their own superhero imprint, basically, when everybody was doing superhero comics, and it was the hot thing to do because, you know, image the image founders had kind of gone off on their own and shown that people could make it big without it being one of the big two, like whether it was Marvel or DC. And so you had all these, you know, comic book creator, longtime creators coming over to Malibu and making their Ultraverse imprint and making all these, you know pretty much original-type superheroes. I mean, some of the tropes and powers are similar to guys that you might be familiar with, but, you know, they're all new creations, and Breakthrough was basically a way to introduce, you know, a whole new fan base to them, basically, because they had all, you know, had all the major titles involved in this crossover, and, you know, you'd read, like, issue one, 
and then there'd be you know tie-ins with all the the books in the line and then you kind of follow up and read issue two but uh, I'll let Tony tell you more about it since he was the sort of victim of Ultraverse. And I, I think not all the stuff Tony's going to say is going to be positive, but I will just say that uh, I, I did reread this for the podcast and I did, you know, I did enjoy revisiting it. So, um, Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> all in all, I mean, I, I didn't hate or anything. There was like, you know, there was never any issues where I was just like, oh, my God. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't like that. Um, it is kind of funny. The entire thing pretty much starts with the uh, – death of an entire team pretty much yeah uh <laughs> yeah exiles uh there's this group they're kind of x-mini doom patrol-ish they're like kind of thrown together team that are trying to you know make their way in the universe and all that good stuff um but yeah and then like pretty much the breakout issue where everything starts uh amber hunt uh who's like this teenage girl who's kind of a bitch i mean to be honest she's she's got issues and I don't mean that in a mean way. She she just has attitude problems. She is being very, well, very, very teenagery. And at one point, she's trying to, like, you know, you know, figure out stuff with her power and try to, like, you know, prove that she can handle everything, that she's, like, you know, badass and stuff. She steps into this machine and just shit goes bad. It's like this big, high-tech, you know, Kirby-esque machine, whatever. And through her actions, she gains, like, an incredibly huge power increase to her natural abilities. And this shoots her off like, you know, into the friggin' sun or whatever. Well, not really, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and, but she, she basically spends her time being in the skyline and most of the crossover issues. Cause now she's, she's kind of going through all the, the light spectrum colors. Yeah. You know, she, she, you know, gets closer and closer to like ultraviolet. It's like, Oh, it's going to be doomsday. Cause we're going to get, <laughs> irradiated by, you know, this, this ultra who's pretty much, you know, lost it. And, you know, she's kind of, it kind of reminds me of like that, the exiles, cause they're, they're written by Steve Gerber and they talk about this where they, they sort of plan to have it be finite and, and kind of make the characters almost unlikable and unworkable. Like, I, I guess in some ways, like the Avengers, like, you know, a lot of these characters don't belong together where they kind of have conflict, but this is kind of worse than that. It's like putting like the, you know, the high school prom queen who is, you know, obviously very attractive, but just has the most blackest personality, you know, like kind of like she's just a total, total self-absorbed kind of bitch. And so it's like it ultimately like all these different characters don't work. So they're kind of like, you know, what if this guy, all he wants to do is dick around with this girl, you know, and he's not cut out to be a superhero, you know, like that kind of thing. And And he dies horribly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They all they all kind of die pretty horribly. So I, I think that issue taught me that, like, I remember when I was creating, like, my own comic book characters, if I was ever unsatisfied with them, I went, you know what, these guys aren't quite as cool as I thought they were going to be. Like, I ended up, like, murdering them all. <laughs> that's, Horrible that's kinda That's kind of what that taught me was, you know, you can always, uh, you know, I guess correct some mistakes and, and still use characters that are kind of Morty that you make or whatever. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the big thing, the big push with this, though, is, uh, yeah, the, the whole reason that, like, the Ultraverse exists is because of, like, the white event or whatever or something like that, where, like, uh, everybody gets pretty much powers, like, who's a hero because of this event, but they're, they're going more into it, like, why did we get these powers, you know, where did this really come from? It has to do with the moon, like, Amber, Amber really doesn't say shit after she gets the power upgrade. She, like, says a couple things here and there, but, like, most of the time she's just, like Derek said, up in the, the sky, just glowing. 
and that's the ongoing theme throughout all the crossover issues. Like Derek said, there's only two issues actually in Breakthrough. They're basically bookends. You, you read the first one, then you read all the uh, the uh, tie-ins, and then you read the last one, and you know you get the whole story. Um, and that, and it was basically in a, a way to bring the entire universe kind of together more. It was like you know, hey, if you read this, this goes on into this, and this goes on into this. You know, it was like it was like a standard crossover, obviously, but the difference with Ultraverse is that they hadn't really done this yet. They haven't really brought all these characters together. You know, it was like. Sure, Prototype might have showed up in Hardcase, because, you know, they're both in California, and Prototype's a dick, and Hardcase is like, you know, he's more or less the Ultraverse's <laughs> Superman, Captain America. He's like the original superhero. He's like, you know... Yeah, but but he's kind of like Wonder Man with his, his occupation, because Hardcase was like a superhero, and he was part of a superhero team, but then his whole team got killed, except for him. So he kind of goes into retirement and becomes like a stuntman slash actor. And then the whole book is, a you know, basically about him, you know, feeling the pangs of responsibility and eventually coming out of retirement and getting back into the superhero biz. Kind of that's the whole pitch of yeah. hard case. So basically no, everybody all these looks, heroes look up to him. Yeah. 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 He's basically like, you know, a lot of heroes look up to him as like a leader type, like a Captain America type. But as far as his occupation goes, it's kind of interesting because he is he is kind of like this Hollywood type guy. You know, it's like his agent, you know, is always like hanging out with him and things yeah, like, like that. Like so. his, his like sidekick choice was like picked for him because she was like attractive and you know, like they, he, the the agent thought they would work well together. She's got her own backstory and everything. Like right, that. right, yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think about like some of the other titles? Like, I mean, what do like? I remember like some of my favorite Ultraverse titles that were part of this crossover were like. I, I know, obviously, I like James Robinson a lot, so I like Firearm, which is basically like this British PI, but he just you know basically he happens to get involved in all these kind of cases involving ultras and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, he's I remember, really an ultra, yeah. He's, yeah. he's just really snarky and usually end over his head and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's kind of like a, a little bit like if you like Punisher type stuff, but if the Punisher was like a PI who always kind of, you know, got embroiled in like dealing with like superhero shenanigans and stuff like that. And then and then the other comic I remember liking a lot was, um, was Sludge. And I guess maybe just because I like Swamp Thing and it seemed like he was – Kind of like the swamp thing of that universe where this this poor bastard gets like caught up in all this like you know toxic waste type stuff and he becomes like this basically hulking blue mass of like toxic glob and he can't really form thoughts and, and speak that well after that point so there's always this like funny kind of trope or bit where he's kind of like you know I, I would like to uh, Turk I'd like to uh, think <laughs> I'd like to uh, talk to you. You know, or whatever. Yeah. It'd be like this bit where he, he's trying to, like, form the word, but he always, like, uses the wrong word or whatever. And I always kind of thought that was uh, cool. And then he had, like, the coolest bad guy, which I don't know why, but I always get off on guys that have uh, have pumpkins on their heads. Lord but I love, I love fucking Lord Pumpkin. I don't know what it is. I just think dudes that have pumpkins on their heads kick ass. Like, I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> You know, I like Sam Haim, I like uh, Jack-O-Lantern, you know, I like, I like dudes like that. So, I, Lord Pumpkin kicks ass. Rather delightful resolution, eh, young pistol? I must say, with your love of uh, card-related characters like Jack of Hearts, I thought, I thought you'd like Solitaire more. 
<laughs> you know what's funny? Like Solitaire, like uh, like the art on that is great. Like the guy uh, who drew that, his name's Jeff Johnson. Like he went on to do, I think, the Wonder Man ongoing for Marvel Comics. Like I, I really like the art in that. Like I don't know about the, you know, the character and his motivations. Like I don't, I don't know that that I, was I something like that, that I dug that much. It, it's a really, it's a really weird book because. The entire story, it seems. I mean, I only read one one issue for the crossover because you know there's only one issue in it. But like his whole thing is like his dad's like this rich asshole, and he's like pr- pretty much a, a jerk. He, he like you know pretty much buys whatever he wants. He, he's very much of a your standard corporate bad guy. But you know his son is solitaire, and solitaire his whole power is he's got like these nano machines and stuff. And if he gets shot at or you know it, it's like a healing factor, but it's more technological based. And I like his costume. The art is really good, like uh, Derek was saying. And it's just kind of a a weird kind of book. It, it reminds me a lot of a DC book from, like, the 80s. It, it kind of has that feel to it. But I like Solitaire. Uh, I also like Prime. Prime yeah. is also very much like a DC book because it's pretty much Shazam in a way. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. Yeah, because you have this kid, uh, Kevin Green, I believe. And his whole thing is... He's thir- it, it, the only difference really between him and Billy Bass is he's thirteen, so he's more of a teenager. It kind of you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of this might be kind of, sound kind of funny, but like uh, Fred Savage in the Wonder Years. Like, yeah. Imagine if like Fred Savage became like you know Herculean Shazam like bodybuilder, kick sand <laughs> in your face type guy, you know? And it's like once he gets that mega cool bodybuilder type body, he's like, I'm gonna go hang out with Winnie Cooper now, and she's gonna like be totally into my muscles and stuff, you know, or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, and like where Billy Batson was more like, golly gee, I want to solve the case, you know, this this guy is like, you know, pretty much just a teenager, you know, I mean, and like his whole deal is like, the reason Prime exists is, it's this protoplasm shell that forms around him, and it pretty much goes with his idea of what a, like a superhero is, and in his mind, it's a big beefy guy with muscles out the ass, and he's got kind of like a Superman-ish yeah, kind of look to it. He, look, he does look actually more like Captain Marvel. He is actually red and gold. And, um, you know, he's got the big smile, the big cheesy smile. Norm Brayfogle was the, the original artist on He He did a great job of, like, yeah, you know, yeah. he's got big veins and stuff and all that. And as the series goes on, uh, for example, in Ultraverse, he uh, is kind of duped by this uh, kind of skeevy military guy. And it's kind of funny because you feel bad for the character because he talks him into, like, he's like, well, since you're going to be going into space and you can't breathe in space, because, I mean, there's still some limitations on his powers, like, you're going to need, like, you know, a space kind of, like, you know, suit kind of thing. And his space suit has no mouth. He has no mouth at all. So he can't talk, you know, when he's primed throughout the whole series. Yeah, it's like he's got these, like, oxygen tanks, like, in his thighs or something like that. And, you know, only only by the grace of uh, Mantra and her big boobs does he end up, uh, you know, surviving the whole uh, crossover when his, his shell breaks away or whatever. Because yeah. I guess a lot of these guys end up getting, like, powers that either let them breathe on the moon or at least let other people breathe on the moon because the idea is supposed to be like that that presence that gave them the powers. Like, yeah, I like that one guy's like, I've gone indigo. 
Yeah, they were, they were oh, like the old time. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the strangers. It's like this guy can change his color and he can do all these cool things, whatever color they were. But they're always like, "What does Indigo do?" Do and they're like, oh, "I don't know, dude. I don't know what it does." So it's like once they finally get there, it's like, "I know what it does now. It makes everyone able to breathe on the moon. It's cool, you know, yeah. or whatever." It's very but, specific, uh, but yeah. it makes sense. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, there's there's lots of there's so many like artists that got their like either like continuing livelihoods or like breakthroughs with this like like terry dodson was the the guy drawing mantra and i was like you know of course if you were like a young kid like i was when this came out and you're all hormonal and stuff it's like i don't know mantras like this weird kind of fetishistic fantasy kind of it's like a dude imagine like Highlander, like a dude who's like a million years old, but he ends up getting stuck in like the body of like the hottest lady ever. Like, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of a know. huge cock block book. Cause it's like, he's so sexy. Wait, he's so sick. Damn it. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like if, if he didn't have to save the universe, he'd be busy like playing with himself the whole time or something. <laughs> you know? Like it's just, it's this really strange kind of <laughs> idea. But when you're 13, you're just kind of like, Oh, and it's funny. Cause the, you know, the, character we're talking about prime you know kevin it's like when he, he wakes up yeah. <laughs> you know he wakes up it's like this big boob shot and he's just kind of like i'm in heaven i love mantra she's the greatest it's like winnie cooper who like you know it's just like you know that kind of scene where you're like any 13 year old boy would like fall in love with you know a terry dodson designed uh sort of you know mystic uh, you know, lady, you know, or whatever. So yeah. Well, one of the funny things about Mantra, which I, well, one funny is actually very nice, is like in in like various points. Um, you know, he he's always a woman. He he's got the mind of a man, but he's always a woman. Even when he's not Mantra, he's still a man, a woman. And there there is many scenes where guys are very chauvinistic towards her because you know she's hot and like guys are picked sometimes, and you get that kind of female perspective in a different way because the guy's like holy shit guys do suck sometimes you know it's kind of like wait what do you mean i gotta go make you a cup of coffee oh okay i'll go make you a cup of coffee and then you know he gets like some intel or lowdown on you know what's going on with all this you know secret army planning where they're gonna launch prime into space and all this kind of stuff so you know and i guess i guess it's worth mentioning because we haven't brought it up before but the bookends are actually drawn by uh mega master talent who we we can't praise enough on this show uh george perez so if you are a fan of george perez and you've never heard of this like it is worth checking out just for the fact that george perez draws all these guys and he does them all major league justice i mean i i you know i i would say like some of the weaker titles or art on the books like i i don't think like i i forgive me because i can't think of the guy's name but whoever draws prototype isn't like my favorite artist, he's not bad, but you know it's one of those things where you see Perez do prototype, and you're kind of like, yeah, like that's yeah, that's pretty awesome looking. He makes the design and the armor look really cool. So yeah, um, and I guess I guess I'll uh, wrap up my uh, view of it as like there were a couple books I wasn't really incredibly impressed with. Like Freaks didn't really do a whole lot for me. Nightman was Nightman. It was what it was. He didn't play enough saxophone for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, me and Derek gets that reference. This is a bad TV show. But um, all in all, I mean, I did enjoy it. I mean, there was definitely, like I said, there was a couple of uh, the standalone issues, you know, that tied in that were actually, you know, pretty cool. You got, like, a little backstory. You got a little bit more into the universe. And... I will give it credit on one thing really good. As far as crossovers go, there have been crossovers that have been really well done and 
you know, they they give you this amazing backstory, yada, yada, yada. And then there's been crossovers where you're just like, you know, what what happened? You know, <laughs> and you're just like, you have no idea why they did a crossover. And this one did a really good job as far as, like, the last bookend of kind of jump-starting, like, the whole idea that this is, you know, this is definitely kind of in the Marvel-DC vibe. All these guys are in the same universe. They can interact with each other at any time, and, you know, now that they have this information going forward, they know a little bit more about themselves, and, you know, like, hey, you know, check out the next, you know, upcoming, you know, Ultraverse book, you know. And all in all, you know, it may not have been, like, you know, a crisis or, you know, Secret Wars or anything like that, but as far as their first like outing, as far as a crossover, I think I think they did a really good job. I I was impressed. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very capable crossover, I think, and it does it is handled, you know, very well. I think. Um, I guess I guess now since Tony kind of wrapped that up for us, um, I guess I'll move on to what I picked for myself. So the only thing that I could think of besides like some brand new crossover type stuff that I had not read was Marvel's Chaos War. That was something that I kind of... I, I, I think I read maybe an issue or two of some of the miniseries, but I kind of I kind of tuned out for the whole Chaos War thing. I don't know if it was, you know, crossover exhaustion, as some people tend to say. You know, they kind of get exhausted by all these different books and tie-ins or whatever. But I think, I think it was just me, you know, a matter of me. I was probably starting a new job, and I wasn't keeping up with all the same comics I used to and had to kind of, you know curtail it or what have you but uh I, you know i went back and, and and read the whole thing uh the chaos war is a five issue miniseries by marvel comics i guess you'd kind of say it's the the bookend or maybe the the you know cherry on top of greg pack's run on incredible hercules which was a really really great marvel title i mean i i read the whole incredible hercules thing but i i kind of considered it done when i you know read those last couple specials and things like that, like this kind of, you know, at the end of that, you know, Hercules kind of sacrifices himself for the good of the universe. So I kind of considered the book kind of done, but I guess this is kind of a little afterthought on the whole thing. So uh, Incredible Hercules kind of, I thought, wrapped up the whole thing because Hercules had sacrificed himself. And and the way the chaos war begins is, you know, Hercules is kind of coming back to existence in the Marvel world. And there's all this weird kind of, uh, I guess, oddness, because what it's like what ends up happening is that the Chaos King, who they set up in Incredible Hercules, is is basically running around pwning all these different people. And so, like, I, if I remember correctly, like, it, it opens, and, like, it kind of opens with this trope that I kind of hate. Like, I kind of hate when it's, like, to prove Doomsday is a badass, he, like, you know, humbles and cripples Darkseid, you know, or whatever. It's like, thus, that proves, like, Doomsday in all his 90s glory is the ultimate mega badass. And it's like the Chaos King kind of does the same thing to the Doctor Strange character Nightmare, who you'd think like, oh, well, Nightmare's kind of like Freddy Krueger. He's kind of like this omnipotent person when it comes to people's, you know, dreams and nightmares and everything. And the Chaos King just kind of shows up and is like, fuck you, Nightmare. And Nightmare's like, what? I can totally be of assistance to bleh. You know, and... Nightmare's and, and usually he, like a badass, you know. Yeah, and he just kind of gets owned and everything. And I, I forget exactly how it goes down, but at some point, the Chaos King, I think, negates Death's powers. 
So I forget how that happens exactly, because um, it's been a while since I read it now, actually. But uh, basically, since death is negated, you, you have all these interesting – it was almost kind of like a reverse or backward way of doing – like they had the X crossover Necrotia, where all these kind of zombie dead X-Men were coming back, or like the Blackest Night, where you know all these kind of zombified Black Lantern people were coming back, and you would get to revisit – you know, characters that were long dead or maybe long forgotten. And so in that sense, when when the rules of death no longer apply, you, you had all these interesting, uh, you know, Marvel characters that got to come back to the forefront. Like, I think my favorite miniseries tie-in from the whole thing was Dead Avengers, because that was actually, it was drawn by one of my favorite artists, which is Tom Grummet. And you, you had all these characters you hadn't seen in a while, you know, like Captain Marvell, you know, who basically, you know, anytime you see him come back, it was always, you know, it was a scroll or something, this and that and this. And, you know, I wouldn't want to negate, you know, Jim Starlin's death of Captain Marvel because that's a really great story. But this was a fun way to revisit him without sort of poo-pooing on his original death story, you know, where it's like, oh, well, death's rules temporarily don't apply. And, you know, you get to revisit, you know, his kind yeah, of you know training. He's die again, but he gets to be around for a little while. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of, I, I, I remember you kind of, you know, there's funny stuff where you get to revisit his training with, like, his old, you know, Cree sergeant, you know, and stuff like that, and I just, you know, I enjoyed the hell out of reading, like, some of his, you know, kind of, you know, green backstory days where it's like, you know, he's kind of like, hey, you pink-skinned idiots, like, don't get killed, <laughs> and, you know, this kind of thing where basically, you know, that commander kind of taught him some of the strategies that they use, you know, in that miniseries and stuff. And, you know, you've got, you know, the, the female yellow jacket, you got poor stupid Dr. Druid, you know, like all these guys that, that sort of... <laughs> got morted out and killed, but they get to make a, another showing, you know, and kind of, you know, they, they, that was actually his code name, by the way, poor stupid Dr. Druid. But yeah, you got, well, you got like swordsman and Dr. Druid and, uh, the, uh, death cry, you know, like, like, I mean, you know, not for nothing. Like I know, I know Justin was, if Justin was here, he'd be, you know, championing the swordsman and everything. And he loves the swordsman, but it's like, you know, mostly like these are dead Avenger morts. I mean, is basically what they are, except for maybe Captain Marvel. And and what ends up happening... The Vision. The Vision, you know? Like, well, I mean, the Vision's not a mort, but, you know, the way the Vision went out with Bendis, he went out like such a fucking bitch. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he just goes in there, he screams, he blows up like a bitch. Like, so it's like all these people got, like, I guess what I'm getting at is they got such lame deaths. Like, they really, they went out with no honor... I mean, Death Cry was like, you fucking stole my kill. And then he, she gets, like, vaporized by Captain Universe. I mean, it's just like they just went out with no class. And what was cool about this was this crossover was kind of a way for a lot of people, even, like, I'd even say with, like, the X-Men crossover, too, like, where, you know, you had people like Banshee coming back, and especially, like, Thunderbird, who was kind of, like, the most ornery... He was Wolverine before Wolverine was Wolverine, you know? Like, he was like, ah, goddamn, you know, <laughs> goddamn white men, you know, and all this other shit. Like, he was <laughs> just always... Like just, a plane. <laughs> he was just always pissed off at everybody. Like, these guys all had chips on their shoulders, but... Here, they all get a chance to sort of redeem themselves, you know, like they they do get to go out, you know, Death Cry does kind of get to, you know, you know, like we don't even know if they're alive or not because nobody's used them since because they're such fucking morts. Yeah. 
but like they they all get to make a really good showing in in this particular crossover you know like all the characters like you know it doesn't matter if you're lame ass dr druid you know like he does you know ultimately make a good showing i mean he's kind of talking doom and gloom for the first couple issues but eventually he kind of gets his shit together and, and and helps everybody else you know so I, you know, and, and, and there's great stuff from the swordsman where, you know, he's trying to mack on uh, Yellow Jacket, you know, and everything. And she's kind of like, look, if you're trying to get some end of the world nookie, like, I'm not interested. And he's kind of like, oh, forgive me, forgive me, I'm French, you know, I can't, I can't help. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> like, there's all these, these fun little exchanges between the characters. That's what and I do. <laughs> um, you know. I will say one thing. I mean, the the main primary book, you know, the the Chaos War is a capable book. I I pretty much enjoyed it. I mean, the basic idea is these underworld, you know, netherworld, you know, chaos guys are, you know, coming to basically wipe out the universe and, you know, Hercules, you know, breaks through the underworld and comes back and gets this godlike power and basically assembles all of these kind of god type characters and different characters to, you know, fight the oncoming chaos war. Um, and, you know, it's capable and everything. The, the thing I like about it is sort of his attention to detail. I, I get the feeling if like Bendis had written this and the pitch was like the same, you know, Archangel would be the guy going, gee, who's this Hercules guy? And you'd be sitting there pulling your fucking hair out going, well, they, they know each other. They're, they teamed up in the champions. They, you know, this and that and the other thing. But Greg Pack at least seems to know his stuff. And he already set up all this stuff that, you know, they had strong ties during World War Hulk. And, you know, he didn't forget any of that history. And so, you know, there's a nice little one panel thing, but it's great where, you know, Archangel's basically like, look, Scott, this is the deal. You know, I'm not exactly sure what's going down 100%, but if it's Hercules, like I know his heart's in the right place and he's trying to get us together to fight these things. And Scott's kind of like, oh, okay, that makes sense, you know, and everything, you know, so it's like stuff like that I enjoyed. Um, you know, there's some funny stuff to me, like, like I, I thought the idea of the God Squad was interesting. You know, it's kind of like it's, it's Silver Surfer and then Venus from like the um, Agents of Atlas and I think Damien Hellstrom and then Cersei from the Eternals. So there are all these characters that they put together as this kind of God squad to go out and fight these chaos demons and everything like that. Stupidly powerful heroes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the the stuff I liked about it was I liked kind of seeing Silver Surfer again in kind of a good guy role, because I guess lately with the whole annihilation thing, it's kind of like, he's like, I'm the Herald of Galactus. And even when he's first introduced, he's kind of like, are you fucking people mad? Why did you bring Galactus to Earth? Like, I'm trying to feed him all these other fucking planets. <laughs> you fucking morons bring Galactus to Earth. Are you fucking insane? You know, and they're like, well, we brought Galactus to help in the oncoming fight. And, you know, they try to explain things to him and everything. And, um, you know, I, I, the, the way they kind of calm Surfer down, which I thought was interesting, was was I think Venus uh, makes Cer- Cersei look like Shalabal. And so I kind of appreciated that because it's like, you know, Surfer is always like, oh, I love you, Shalabal, Shalabal, Shalabal. Give me my Shalabal! My beloved Shalabal. You know, every five minutes, like, I saw the surfways and I miss, you know, Shalabal. So it's like, and even when you look at it, it's kind of like the way Jack Kirby would draw Shalabal and the way he would draw Cersei. I mean, you could kind of put, like, a lot of these characters, you know, Beautiful Dreamer, you know, whoever they are, you know, these Jack Kirby, you know, kind of 
uh, dark haired beauties all together. And they would probably all look like, you know, identical twin sisters. So I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Like the way he kind of sees, you know, Cersei as shallow ball and then kind of goes along for the whole God squad ride and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, kind of sad, it, kind of sad when he said so surfer, I was like, it probably has something to do with shallow ball. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Venus's whole deal is, you know, she sings songs and stuff like that. So some of the stuff I was kind of like, what? Like, cause it's like, there's, there's sings or there's sings. There's, there's scenes where, you know, she's singing like modern music and I'm just kind of like, what? Like, uh, you know, like there stuff like that, where I was like, why is she singing like, you know, uh, Bob Marley, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> we went together and feel all right. And I'm kind of like, really? Like this Greek goddess is singing Bob Marley for real. Like, I guess it's supposed to be all poignant and meaningful and stuff, but it just, some of that stuff I was kind of like, kind of took me out of the whole, you know, I don't know. Like I was charging to like the villain. She's like, they're like, we got a great big convoy going on through. You know, I don't know. It just, it just, it would be the same thing. It doesn't have to be Bob Marley. I mean, it could be like a musical or it could be, you know, uh, uh, her singing no doubt or something, you know, like just anything like that. I was just kind of like, are you for reals? Like, come on. Like, you know, I don't know what I expect her to sing, but not, not like, you know, pop music or whatever, but, you know, I guess it's just supposed to be timely and poignant or something, but, you know. Well, I, I guess I'll ask you the big question, Derek. I, I was kind of curious while you're talking about it. I, I mean, to me, I mean, I know you know about the Marvel Universe. I know you're not a noob, quote unquote, by any stretch of imagination, but you're usually the guy I think of as like the DC guy on here because you're, you're usually a big DC fan. It, was this like on par with like your favorite DC books or crossovers? I think, I mean, to me, it's like, like a lot of these, this reminded me of things like Blackest Night and things like uh, the X-Men crossover Necrotia, because you're revisiting a lot of characters that have been dead for a long time. So, like, if you're a big fan, like, like one of the cool things that, you know, it tied into the Incredible Hulk. And one of the really cool things in that was I was like, man, like, you know, because of stupid Jeff Loeb, like the real abomination's been dead for like years and years and years. And one of the really cool things about it was it was like, hey, guess who's back? You know, because death's rules no longer apply was the abomination. And you're just like, holy shit. You know, and Betty gets to hang out with Glenn Talbot. And like, you know, if you if you've read Hulk for a long time, like. I think you get rewarded as a fan with stuff like this, where these characters who have been dead for a really long time and you don't see them, but you get to see them again. You know, it's kind of like, I, I guess, you know, when Brian was reading that Justice League run that Robinson wrote, and he was kind of like smack dab into the middle of uh, Blackest Night. You know, it's like, unfortunately for him, he didn't have too much of a connection to the characters. But for me, I was kind of like, oh, cool. It's, it's some of those old Detroit League guys. So, I mean... You know, that aspect of it, I thought, was really, really fun. It was great to see Thunderbird, like, again in X-Men. I mean, he kind of almost took that that modern-day Wolverine role of leader. And I thought it was kind of weird, but kind of appropriate. You know, it's almost like in the old days, he probably would have been some guy that Cyclops would have slapped around and been like, hey, stop getting on everybody's nerves. Stop having a chip on your shoulder. Like, stop being a jerk. You know, being a jerk is what got you killed, basically, like that kind of idea. Did, did but he get to, this, uh, does he get to inter interact any all with uh, Warpath at all? 
No, it, it's it, they're kind of on Muir Island, and they're making this like stand against some of these chaos demons. So oh, it's like Moira okay. McTaggart's back, and and Banshee's back, and the the Stepford Cuckoos that got killed, like they're there. You know, so it's like all this this kind of ragtag group of basically dead. You know, dare I say it, like I did with the Avengers, but these this ragtag group of dead Morty X Men. You know, all kind of make this valiant last stand against all these, you know, chaos demons and everything. And and you know, if if you're a fan of any of these quote unquote morts, you know, like Swordsman or Thunderbird, like I am, it's like man, they make some really, you know, great showings. You know, there. You know, even though it's for you know a sort of limited time only, I guess or whatever. But I I really enjoyed that aspect of the crossover. I mean, as far as the main crossover goes, it was, you know, it was fine. I mean, it was tolerable. It, you know, I didn't think it was the greatest thing I'd ever read. You know, there's lots of stuff with like Thor that was just kind of like, whatever, you know, like, yeah. but, uh, you know, that, that's just me. I mean, I don't know. Like Mike, you read this too, didn't you? Uh, the main event in dead Avengers. Okay. I didn't read anything else. Okay. Like, I mean, do you have any alternative take on sort of what I've been saying or anything else? No, not really. I mean, like, I've never been a huge fan. Like, I didn't read Incredible Hercules, so and since it was, like, the main event was so, like, Hercules, like, centric and stuff, I was kind of, you know, I, I I didn't follow it, like, so well. Like, I knew just enough to understand what was going on, but I probably missed, like, a lot of those nods that weren't, like, pertaining to, like, things like Avengers or X-Men or stuff. Okay. You know, like, I know Hercules, and I know, like, Amadeus Cho and stuff, so, like, I got, like, everything they were doing, and, you know, I I don't remember having a strong impression of the main event, like, you know, I just kind of read it, like, I I, I bought the trade, because it was, like, it was, like, Clarence at my, like, local shop for, like, seven bucks, so I was like, okay, you know, I could do worse than that for, like, this, and then... And, like, I read it in, like, a couple days, and I was like, you know what? I was like, that's okay, but I I don't remember a lot about it, basically. Yeah, you know, speaking of – I just thought of something. Speaking of DC, you know, one thing I did appreciate about it is Amadeus Cho, like, Mike brought up Amadeus Cho, and he's supposed to be kind of like the the intellect of the group. You know, I mean, he's kind of basically the kid Reed Richards, if you will, you know, one of the smartest guys in Marvel. But – what what I kind of liked about it was that the the chaos demons like that shit was so heavy. You know, he kind of has this mental breakdown in the middle of the crossover, and I thought that was a nice little commentary on the whole Batman prepora bullshit kind of thing that's been going on with a lot of crossovers lately, where it's like, oh, I'm just a normal dude, but I'm gonna outthink like the end of the world, you know? And it's just kind of like sometimes I guess that can be really cool when you know somebody like Grant Morrison's writing it or whatever, but you know sometimes you just kind of like, come on, spare me. It's like sometimes there's just shit that like Batman can't do, and. I liked that it was like this moment where, yeah, he might be the most brilliant kid in the universe, but he's sitting there going, oh, I've done all the calculations, Hercules. I've run all the numbers. We're fucked. You know, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter how smart we are. We're fucked. You know, yeah, like and it's like, moment in aliens. oh, game over, man. Game yeah. over. And, and I kind of, you know, to me, I was kind of like, well, to me, that was kind of cool because it was like, all right, finally, somebody's acknowledging, like, it doesn't really matter how smart you are in this situation. Like, sometimes it's all about, you know, the kind of power and omnipotence and how they bring together all these different characters, you know, kind of back to the basic idea of the whole superhero comic being basically, you know, might makes right. And, you know, the basically the most super guys you can get have to like pound people in the head with their fists, you know, and, and not this whole kind of, you know, I'm going to reverse 
the mortgage on the Chaos King's house and fill out the deed, and then he's choted with my prep time. You know, he's just kind of like, <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. You know, like, you know what I, I wanted to ask? Uh, I don't know how much you looked into this, Derek, and, like, I, I didn't look into it. I, it was just something I noticed in passing, but the Chaos, like, King or something, isn't he... Is he based on like a real mythological thing? Like, like wasn't he based on some like mythological like Japanese that, like thing? That's what they talk about in the um, in the comic. Like, they talk about. I don't know. I didn't do any research on a genuine. I, I forget what the Japanese name for him was, but I didn't do any research on that. I would imagine maybe he's loosely based on some kind of. I don't because I remember when I first like saw like the press for this event and they like they were pimping like his design and stuff, and I was like, man, that looks a lot like Unicron from like Transformers, and like you know Unicron's always going on in the comics, you know, about chaos and stuff, and right. I was like, I'm, I was wondering if it was some like. Japanese like designer taking like cues from the same like mythological source or something, hmm. you know? Yeah, maybe. I have no idea. That's that's kind of interesting. Like he's all orange and he's got like horns and stuff. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, I wonder. Yeah, like who knows? That is kind of interesting. I don't know if I I pulled up the wiki page just in case we needed something. Here we go. It's called uh, Matsu Mikaboshi. So I was looking at it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. Uh... I don't know if that's all, all. It all it links to is a bunch of like Marvel stuff. Like so, unfortunately, I don't know if it links to anything real. Um, yeah, I was gonna say I was wondering he, if he that is was based on the Mikaboshi of Japanese mythology. Let's see another link here in Japanese mythology. Amitsu Mikaboshi, August Star of Heaven, is a god of the stars, specifically Venus. He is mentioned in passing as an opponent. During, let's see, I don't know, a bunch of Japanese stuff I know nothing about. But yeah, uh, let's see, the Mikaboshi. <laughs> he also showed up in uh, Super Sentai. <laughs> yeah, Super Sentai, uh, Marvel Comics character of the same name, uh, PlayStation 2 game, uh, Shin Megami Tensai. So yeah, I mean, I guess it is based on something in, in Japanese mythology. I don't know if that inspired Unicron at all. That'd be kind of interesting if anybody had any confirmation on that one way or the other. Oh, I guess yeah, and maybe maybe it's just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Well, if anybody knows anything more than we do about it, we'd love to hear about it because that is kind of interesting. There's a reference down at the bottom from Nagasaki University, 1988. So judging from the degree of familiarity and various other perspectives, this Venus indeed looks like the most appropriate match for. Amatsu Mikaboshi. So, oh, okay. Apparently, it does exist outside of the Marvel universe. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, it's real. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I would you know if if you want to check out the Chaos War, I I, I think I would say you know if you were heavily reading uh, Hercules, you know, Incredible Hercules, and you like that, this is definitely you know kind of the cherry on top. And and it, it like I said, I think Greg Pak uh, at least knows his stuff more than you know somebody like Bendis who you know. You know, or even some of the stuff that Fraction wrote, you know, like where it's like, oh, well, you know, they, they have this idea, this grandiose thing. They put together a bunch of guys, but I don't know. It just seems like if it doesn't fit into their little theme or idea, they will discard it, even though maybe there's a, a lot more history behind it. You know, whereas in this case, it seems like any of the history, you know, all seems to coincide at least, you know, like, I mean, with the exception of, you know, like a couple things here and there, like I said, where nightmare is getting pwned and, you know, death, of course, for the plot of the, 
the the whole book kind of gets pwned. But you know, I mean, other than that, it, it it was a good book. I mean, you know, I I like I said, the highlights for me would be like the Dead Avengers and seeing you know Thunderbird you know kick some ass over in the uh, the X Men Chaos crossover. So well, I'll tell you this much, just from like how you described, it, I kind of want to read Dead Avengers now. So yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I would recommend that, too. Yeah, I really enjoyed Dead Avengers. Yeah, I mean, um, I love Tom Grummet, man. He's, well, I always say that, but he's the friggin' man, and uh, and it, it was definitely really fun. And and talking about that attentiveness to detail, I mean, come on, think about it. I'm describing these characters as Avenger morts, but yet all their deaths, like, everything that they flash back to is, like, 100% accurate. Like, if you go back and track down you know, oh, how did Dr. Druid die? And then you look at a flashback, it's exactly how he died in the, you know, Warren Ellis Druid miniseries. You know, if you if you look back at, uh, you know, I think it's like Annihilation Star-Lord miniseries. That's where Deathcry, you know, makes her last, like, living appearance or whatever. You know, and, and all these things that they flash back to are exactly how all these poor bastards went out. You know, when poor Yellowjacket gets killed by... Uh, you know, Kang controlled Tony or whatever, you know, like from the crossing, you know, all this stuff is, is, is referenced appropriately. So just like I mean, a good little, like, like kind of almost like a redemption arc. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, and when, and when vision flashes back, he just sees Brian Michael. Bendis. Yeah. He sees Brian Michael <laughs> and this is stupid bald head. And he's like, ah, <laughs> no. Um, I like I liked Vision's whole exit in there, although it does bring up questions as to like if Vision is like a robot or a like real soul or anything. Yeah, where like, yeah. he, but but in whatever case, I like how he went out again in this thing where he's like, you know, let us see if we can find out if an android can die. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, at least that point to me, I'm like, yeah, he exploded again. But I'm like, at least he didn't explode like a bitch, you know? Yeah, that's true. He like, took out Grim went out. He went yeah. out like a badass and took out the bad guy. Like, it's not like some dumb thing where he... <laughs> it's like, you racist asshole! <laughs> blows up Avengers Mansion <laughs> yeah. for no reason, yeah. Um, and Grim Reaper's like, a cursed apple face! You know? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this, this this is always very fun for me. Um, I guess we need to move on, though, because we've got one more crazy crossover on the list. Um, and this is uh, for Michael. And, you know, since I'm always trying to, um, you know, force more DC comic books on uh, poor Michael and Brian, I recommended something that I thought he would like. And also maybe try to convince him maybe to check out uh, in the future maybe more Suicide Squad. So I picked uh, a crossover from 1989. Uh, like I said, it's kind of on the cusp of the 90s. This is kind of like when the Batman movie was coming out and everything was like hip and cool and hot. Um, but this is a uh, crossover from DC Comics called The Janus Directive. And, I mean, I'll let Mike go into it more, but, you know, the basic setup is there are all these kind of intelligence agencies in the DC universe, you know, Checkmate, uh, Task Force X, which is also known as Suicide Squad, the Captain Atom Project, um, you know, and then you've got other various characters that maybe John Ostrander was working on at the time, like the new elemental version of Firestorm. And so all these different organizations somehow overlap and coalesce and there's all this misinformation spread and and all this kind of craziness going on and so basically it makes an internal war between all these different organizations so it'd kind of be like if gi joe got the dirt that mask was about to uh 
you know, I don't know, bomb, you know, the, the, the pit. And then Optimus Prime was like, oh, shit, well, we got to hit Mask first hard because they transform like us. And everybody kind of basically fights among themselves for a little while before they realize the true threat is like, you know, Cobra Commander or somebody. And then they all go after him. But, uh, yeah, I'll let Mike talk about it a little bit more. It's funny you should mention that because, like, I was I was gonna say it really felt like reading like a GI Joe story almost, and like not just because they even like the the bad guy at the end actually turns out to be Cobra, like yeah. DC's Cobra, yeah, Cobra uh, like DC Comics, yeah, who, yeah, who, a lot of like mil- this is just like uh, old school cartoon Cobra Command, pretty much, you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like all these like military organizations or private like or spy organizations and stuff, they're all like you know it's a, a lot of espionage stuff and a lot of military based stuff, and um, there's a lot of, yeah there's a lot of like infighting until they of course like figure out who the real bad guy is and then they all converge on Cobra basically. Well, yeah, a lot of and, like the the Larry Hama GI Joe issues, you know, where they all had like the team briefings and they'd watch like videos and everybody's sitting in the briefing room and stuff. Yeah, they, they I was would thinking often, that they would often do that with Suicide Squad, where it's like, okay, you know, Digger, you're on the team, and Deadshot, you're on the team, and you know, Duchess, you're on the team, or whatever it is. And all there's like this is Baron von Boo 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 in here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's an asshole, <laughs> well, it, and you gotta like. Well, there was there was Count Vertigo, yeah. and he was kind of like, I am Baron von Boo Boo Boo. But yeah, no, I I thought it was interesting. I mean, I wasn't really familiar with a whole lot of characters yeah, like Checkmate yeah. and like you know like Peacemaker and Checkmate and. I, I was uh, hoping at least you would you would see Harvey Bullock and Checkmate and be like, oh yeah, you know. Yeah, I was kind of like, oh, I didn't even know that. Like, yeah, was, like, like for a long people time. People in places. Like, I didn't even know that Vixen was a part of, like, the Suicide oh, Squad. okay, okay, actually. yeah. Like, I thought her first stuff was, like, in... Was that before the Detroit League or after? No, that's after the Detroit League. So it's kind of okay. like after most of those members got, like, wiped out and messed up, it's like she kind of was not a JLA member, but she ended up being ported over to the Suicide Squad. So it's like her and... Her and uh, Bronze Tiger, I would say, you know, after Rick Flagg left, you know, were kind of like the you know, the leading force, you know, they're kind of like the, you know, the storm or the, you know, kind of, I don't know, you know, of the X-Men, you know, like where I, I people make fun of like the Avengers and the X-Men for having like a rotating cast, but Suicide Squad always had like different casts. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, was this after Deadshot was a member or before Deadshot was a member? Uh, or? Well, technically like th- this is, uh, I would say it's after and before because, Deadshot was a member from the beginning, from issue one, but basically, like, some of the backstory with that is, like, they they ended up giving Deadshot a a solo miniseries, and then they kind of cut him loose for a little while, and then he'll come back later on in the series. Ah, okay. Yeah, like, go away after he was this. This crossover, you kind of catch them in flux, so it's kind of like it's kind of like catching like a arc of X Men where like Wolverine's not in it or something, like one of those rare situations or whatever. <laughs> yes. Didn't he leave because like he was supposed to like assassinate that senator or something like that? And... Yeah, yeah, like basically, like that. That's probably like, the greatest issue of Suicide Squad ever because like basically Amanda Waller tells him like, hey, you know what? Uh, Rick Flag's gonna go out and shoot this senator, and it's like you got to stop him, you know by any means necessary. And he's kind of like all conflicted because he's like, well, Rick Flagg's the leader. It's basically like, like Professor X says, 
Wolverine, like, kill Cyclops by any means necessary, like, because he can't kill, you know, uh, Senator uh, uh, Kelly, who funds the Sentinel program or something. And, and Wolverine's just like, what? Like, and then he's like, all right, I'll do what you tell me, you know. And, and so what he does is he goes there and he kills the senator himself. And then all these cops, like, mow him down and everything. And it's, like, just the coolest fucking scene ever in, like, a comic book. But, like, the whole thing is they're like, what the fuck did you do, Deadshot? And he's like, I did just like Mama Waller told me. Like, you're not supposed to kill him. So I killed him. You know, like, <laughs> it's, like it's like I followed the rules. Like, she didn't say nothing about me. You yeah. know, so it's like, it's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, Rick Flag still gets to be a hero and the Senator still dies. <laughs> Most fun I've had since my last root canal. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of like a random tangent, but, um, you know, like, I mean, I'm just curious, I know you're not familiar with all the characters or anything like that, but w- was it interesting to get a taste of characters like Captain Adam or even the Elemental Firestorm? Like, cause I know I kind of, I, I'm all passionate cause I was reading these books month to month and like, or even like the Mark Shaw Manhunter, like I love those fucking books. So I, I'm just kind of curious what you thought of all those guys. Um, like I was going to say, like, I'm not, like I said, I wasn't too familiar with a lot of them. And, like, I, I've, like, I've never even, like, seen, like, I know there was a, there was a period where Firestorm was, yeah, like, an elemental type dude. But I've never even, like, seen any of that. So I was kind of like, oh, so Firestorm's, like, going around and, like, he's sort of like a silver surfer type dude, like, now. And, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I was just, it was new to me. So I was just kind of, like, you know, going with the flow. But, you know, I, I, I didn't, I guess I wasn't exposed to it enough to have a really like informed opinion but okay. you know it it was interesting and i i liked the captain adam issues though because like you know obviously those are the greg wiseman like yeah, yeah. issues and stuff and like a lot of like elements from the, that issue like i saw in like young justice the young justice tie-in comic and stuff like that and uh what was i gonna say um uh Oh, I wanted to mention uh, Peacemaker. He's got the doofiest helmet I've ever seen. On that guy. Like, <laughs> right, right like, now, as you can tell from my avatar, yeah, it's like it's helmet. like someone, it's like someone, yeah, took like Orion's helmet and like glued two thermoses or something to the side of it or something. I don't know. It, it looked. It was like the. I couldn't take that guy seriously because every time I looked at him, I was like, "That is like the stupidest like helmet I've ever seen on a on like a superhero." And I'm I'm like counting NFL Super Pro and stuff. <laughs> I I always thought like to me, I don't know why, but I always thought it looked like he had a regular helmet, which he does. He has like a form fitting helmet. It looked like somebody got a stainless steel to- toilet donut for like hemorrhoids and put it on top of. His- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like. I, I did. I did think Peacemaker as a character is pretty funny, though. Where he's like, you know, he's all into it. He's like, I love peace so much, I'm willing to kill to get it. You know. Yeah, Peace, just, Peacemaker was always that kind of guy who was the the blueprint for the comedian and Watchmen and stuff like that. So I was always kind of like, it, it, most of those characters, like I just kind of you know enjoyed reading all the different. You know, because like he didn't he didn't have a title after a while. I think he only had like a mini series or something. So they they seem to find ways to like throw him into you know books like Checkmate and you know Suicide Squad and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool. Like the Peacemaker Project's kind of like a little subsidy of of the Checkmate Project almost. Yeah. You know, so. I don't know. Well, like all in all, I guess like 
I don't know. Like, I, I know you enjoy it, but, like, I don't, like, it, it sort of reminded me what, like, what Su- Secret Avengers is doing right now, where oh, okay. it's all, like, espionage stuff, and that stuff some, sometimes, like, really, like, bores me. So, okay. Like, okay. like, sometimes I was kind of, like, checking out of it. Like, I'd read, like, a couple pages, and I was like, I have no idea what I just read. Like, okay. and I'd have to go back and, like, reread it more carefully. And, like, like I really enjoyed the Suicide Squad issues, but, like, the Checkmate issues kind of, like, were kind of dull. Kinda, and, they kind of dragged a yeah. little bit. Okay. Yeah, I was like, no, no, that's, that's fair. I, I could understand that, especially if you're not into the whole, like, espionage type stuff. And then and then it's kind of tough because I guess if you don't know, you know, it, it's hard. It's like it gives you a taste of the characters, but if you're not familiar with all of them, you know, then it's like, you know, who do you have to sort of to hone in on and checkmate unless you've been reading it for a while. You know? Yeah, because a lot of checkmate guys are basically like plain clothes like kind of people. They're not yeah, like plain clothes guys or, or like guys that you know. It's like oh, it's like GI Joe, but they all wear the same you know night outfit or whatever. So you're like okay, like you, you know these guys are are good guys, but you know maybe you don't know who Duke is and who Snake Eyes is and you know that kind of thing. So actually, Mike, I was gonna I was gonna suggest if you haven't already read it before, uh, since you're not like a a big DC guy. If you really want to read some good Deadshot stuff and you really like that character, uh, I definitely suggest uh, Secret Six. That was a really good comic. Yeah. Well, like like Derek, you were saying, like, you know, Mike, you like Thunderbolts and stuff, so you yeah. probably like Suicide Squad, but I, I think I'd probably like a more, yeah, maybe Secret Six would be more up my alley, just because, like, are they, like, affiliated with, like, the government? Or, no, like, not at all. They're all kind of, like, mercs and stuff, so yeah. Yeah, so maybe I'd enjoy something that isn't so, like, espionage or, like, you know, spy game. I right, say, right, right. I, I always say, like, all this spy game stuff, uh, it bores the crap out of me, like, so... I don't know, but this like I'm I'm saying like I didn't like not enjoy this or anything. I but like I I was kind of like checking out sometimes, like especially ironically during the checkmate like issues where no, I was. No, I, of, I think that's completely fair and valid. I mean that's why we do this. I I didn't think I I know like a lot of my love is from a nostalgic point of view. I mean '89 like around there like that's kind of like. When I was like comics and I was a little kid, you know, so it's like I I probably have some blinders to uh, to some of the shortcomings of of any of the titles and stuff like that. So it's good that you can, you know, keep me on my toes and kind of call me out on things when they're, you know, not as entertaining and stuff. No, it's it's cool. Like, I'm glad I read it. I I was going to say, too, um, it's funny, like that that Captain Adam issue that serves as like the epilogue to like the whole thing. Yeah. Where him and his like best buddy get captured by like Black Manta. Like, I I was kind of laughing because i remember like you saying like about that episode of young justice where you're like man like black manta got his ass kicked by Sportsmaster. like yeah. what the hell man and i was like kind of reading this issue and like he like he get like he gets defeated by captain adam and i'm kind of like well that makes more sense like yeah. where he's like he's like you know what we have these two guys and then he turns like Nathaniel adams turns into captain adam and he's like oh shit it's captain adam you know and he gets his ass kicked yeah so I was like, well, that makes more sense. I mean, the Black Manta fights Aquaman, you know? We shouldn't yeah. lose to someone like Sportsmaster. Yeah, but. yeah I, I won't white knight the series uh, a whole lot, but I will say this. I think uh, where me and Derek come from as far as, like, nostalgia is, like, it's not very unheard of nowadays. It's actually pretty much the norm for a lot of team books to have, you know, like, like Thunderbolts and Dark Avengers. It's, you know... It's not really anything new and exciting to have villains who are kind of thrust in somewhat heroic roles, but Suicide Squad really was groundbreaking for what it was in the day because that that shit didn't happen. You didn't have like villains who sometimes did good stuff, sometimes you know did bad stuff. 
and like with the suicide squad, suicide squad, it was really funny because you know you would have these guys, you know, like like Rick Flag or like you know whatever Sergeant Steel, whatever you know the guys who were like obviously the good guys, but then you'd have Boomerang who would go out on these missions and he would do stuff for the government, but he was still an asshole. He was still a yeah. Dick. I mean that that guy was always like the star scream of the bunch. I mean you were just waiting for him to backstab you know, motherfuckers, you know, where it's like, when is, when is Boomerang gonna, you know, totally chode the rest of the team for <laughs> money or, or whatever, you know, like just to, or to get out of, to get out of jail early or what, what have you, you know, so. Yeah, it was, it was, it was new and very fresh back then. So yeah, I, could, I could definitely see the nostalgia goggles cause you, you shouldn't see that shit back then. So I think, I think that wraps up all the crazy, awesome, wacky crossover dares that we had planned for tonight. I know I said originally, you know, we, we were hoping Justin was going to be on and, and maybe we were going to talk some unity. Um, but, you know, sadly we didn't get to do that tonight. But who knows, you know, maybe in the future we can come back and revisit it. I know it was, it was fun uh, rereading it myself, and I think it would be fun to talk about with everybody else. Um, but I guess for now uh, we'll go ahead and move on to uh, our regular regularly planned segment, which is what's awesome in the fan holes world this week. And, you know, if you're not familiar with this segment, that's where we usually talk about something that is near and dear to our hearts, uh, but just something we'd like to recommend and that we think is really, really cool. Or maybe it's just something that, you know, was just a nice moment in our lives this week. So uh, I guess I'll go ahead and uh, start with Mr. Tony Chainclaw and uh, check out what's awesome in his world this week. Uh, both of mine are media related. They're, they're, I got two. They'll be pretty quick though. Um, it was a good DVD week for me the last two weeks. Uh, we didn't record last week. Um, the first one, it'll be out for a long time by the time you hear this, folks. But if you didn't have a chance to pick it up, I strongly, uh, recommend it. Uh, the Justice League, uh, Flash, Flashpoint Paradox came out recently. And we, a lot of the fandoms are kind of like, eh, let's see where they go with this. But as far as I know, everybody who's watching on the fan holes really enjoyed it. It was really well done. Um, good animation, good story. I myself didn't read the comics, but according to like guys like Derek and everybody, it was pretty true to the comics, and it was you know strong enough to stand on its own as a animated uh, movie. Uh, I liked it. It was really good. Um, Mike had issues with some of the violence. It is a very violent story. Uh, me and Derek, on the other side of the coin, we didn't really have a problem with the violence. But at the end of the day, Mike didn't hate it because of the violence. He just thought it was a little bit over the top. So there you go. I mean, it's still a good story. So I highly recommend that if you get a chance to pick it out. Um, as longtime Fan Holes listeners are aware of, I'm a big wrestling fan. And I picked up ECW uh, Unreleased Volume 2 this week. It's a three-disc three set. If you're not into wrestling, I won't like give you too much detail and bore you. But if you are a wrestling fan and you like good wrestling, um, yeah, I highly suggest you pick that up as well. So those are my two things. Cool. No, that's awesome, dude. I mean, I know, I know Justin wasn't too fond of the violence in uh, Flashpoint either. I know a lot of different people were talking about, you know, just how violent it is and stuff like that. But, you know, I, like I said, I, I kind of enjoyed it myself. So I, I kind of got that good giddy feeling when I saw Flash running off there and, and doing his thing. So, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Um, Brian, what is your awesome thing of the week? Um, I'll split it into two things. One thing I have not yet received, but uh, I got hooked up with a Masterpiece Soundwave, the uh, U.S. edition. Kind of more stoked, actually, to get the cassettes than Soundwave himself, but uh, there you go. I'm excited to have one on its way. Um, another thing I recently bought was, um, well, uh, 
at, you know, a couple of the fan holes are Red Dwarf fans, so uh, those in the know, they, they <laughs> restarted doing the series, so Series 10 was just released. Um, so I bought that, and then I decided before I'd watch it, I'd go through, you know, the entire series front to back again. So I'm on Series 5 or 6 right now, and I'm just having, you know, a lot of fun rewatching that stuff. So it's been a pretty good time. I I got that too, Brian. I I watched the first like three episodes of it. It's pretty great. Cool. Do they have the laugh track in it? Yeah. Okay, because that annoyed me on yeah. with uh back. To- oh, the movie. Yeah. Like like I don't know. I I think the laugh track really adds to it. Yeah. I agree. Cool. I guess I'll go for myself. And yeah, we we haven't recorded in two weeks, so I guess maybe I'll have a couple things too. But uh, I just wanted to say, uh, I guess it's kind of like a bat week for me. But uh, one of the awesome things was, I I guess it was supposed to be a Toys R Us exclusive, or that's what I had understood, but I ended up getting it from Target online, and it is the Adam West 1966 Batmobile from Mattel, and so that kind of fits with all these new, you know, six-inch Movie Master type figures and everything like that, so that came in the mail. And then uh, the other thing is probably like the best 20 bucks I've spent in a long time for a big, hunking, gigantic piece of plastic, but it is the uh, uh, Batman Brave and the Bold, like, bat bot or whatever from that series. <laughs> and it's just, it's the hugest thing ever. And then, basically, like, when you turn its head, like, Adam West comes out and talks to you. So. Mega Blaster activated. So, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, dude, like, this is pretty sweet. You know, and you press on the thing and the... the the guns come out and everything, and so, you know. Great job, partner. So, you know, you can't get better than, than Adam West telling you, great job, partner, you know. So that that kind of made my goddamn day. So, yeah, I love this thing. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much my, my awesome thing. But I'll turn it over to Mike because I'm sure he's got a couple awesome things to regale the listeners with as well. Um, I just picked up uh, volumes uh, three and four of Transformers UK Classics, uh, which is like a, a series of like reprints uh, IDW's been doing of like basically they're going through the UK Marvel like Transformers comic and collecting them in like you know big nice like trades, and what makes these great is like. It, James Roberts, like who obviously writes like the the super popular Transformers more than meets the eye comic that me and uh, Tony can't stop gushing about apparently, <laughs> at, at, like everywhere. But um, he basically writes like twenty something pages of like commentary on like all these like surrounding all these comics, and it's like like this guy like you can tell why he like is such a great writer on Transformers because he's like he knows all this like obscure trivia and he gets like all these interviews with like actual like artists and colorists that worked on it like in the 80s and stuff and like he gets like commentary from Simon Furman and all this and it's really interesting stuff like you know like the volume 3 I just finished reading it had like Target 20 like 2006 and stuff and there's all like this interesting commentary about how like Simon Furman saying like you know like we we only had like a like early script of the movie, so we were all like working off that, and like you know you've got all this like crazy stuff. Cause, and the reason it's called like Target 2006 is because in the first draft of the movie script, like it the, it was going to be in the year 2006 instead of 2005. So it was like you know we, we it happened too early for us to change it and stuff. So and um. 
I don't know. It's just it's just really interesting to read, and the only bad part is like obviously since it's like a standard like U.S. trade size, like all the comic art has to be shrunk to that because originally like the U.K. comics were like magazine sized and stuff. But like I already have the Titan like reprints of those comics, so like I already have it in a magazine size, so I'm not too bothered with it. But I can see like some people saying, "Oh, this art looks a little like smaller than usual." Mm. Is it? It's not hard to read or anything, but it's just like you know you you might be used to that larger size. Well, yeah, if you if you had those kind of special like king sized comics or those you know the, like those old school giant sized ones, you know where Superman was fighting Muhammad Ali, but then it was like shrunk down to a normal size, you'd kind of be disappointed. So I, yeah. I can I can see that, but it sounds like the highlight is all this sort of behind the scenes stuff that. Yeah, it's it's really really awesome. Like and like it, it's basically like James Roberts obviously like was like weaned on all this stuff, and you know he 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 definitely like you, the enthusiasm really shines through in his writing, and it's 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 like the most in depth like analysis of this stuff that like I've ever read. So. You know, I'm I'm about to start volume four, and like even even though I've read all these comics before, it's still like I haven't read some of them in years. So it's it's I'm getting into like the first appearance of Death's Head now. So it's all like you know I'm I'm kind of like yeah, this is awesome stuff. So yeah, getting a Love bit you. of Death's Head for you, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, um, just one more thing before we uh, sign off for the night. Um, I know we sometimes ask for people to send in emails and feedback and whatnot. Um, we did get a Facebook comment from our buddy Andy Clewell. Um, this was actually about the uh, the Wolverine podcast that uh, that we released not too long ago. And uh, I guess he's responding to our question. I know Justin asked, you know, if you like Old Man Logan, you know, please tell us why or tell us why you read it in the first place and all that kind of stuff. And so Andy just tells us that uh, he says, I liked Old Man Logan as I was reading it because I wanted to see how far the quote unquote shock jock went. I guess he's quoting me because um, I called Mark Millar a shock jock. Um, he <laughs> says, by the time I finished, I had no feelings about the arc. So I guess he, he, he became numb to all the incest and violence and what have you. Um, so anyway, uh, thanks for sharing with us, Andy, because we did ask and we wanted to know, you know, why people decided to read it and what, what their kind of reactions were to it besides just us. And so uh, there you have it, some, some reaction to Old Man Logan. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I guess that kind of wraps things up for tonight. Uh, um, can I throw out something real quick, Derek? Yeah, yeah, go for it, man. Uh, I just wanted to... Uh kind of give a shout out to somebody who uh, asked us for a little bit of help uh we have a friend of ours on the forum we post on and he uh, started his own podcast hopefully it's still going by the time this airs if not he'll, he should have a couple of episodes still up he's been working on he's got a couple episodes in the uh can already it's called death cakes podcast it's by a guy called omega death uh if you just go to deathcakespod.tumblr.com you'll find uh there's i think uh three or four issues up now and I just want to give him a shout out because he was he's got six issues up now and he was just nice enough to ask us for a little bit of help uh, people to listen and if any of you guys are fans of us they do kind of geeky stuff too um, so I just want to give him a little shout out you know give him a little bit of love on the uh, old fan holes podcast no, that's great. We'll we'll put that up on uh, our list of cool sites. So in case anybody didn't catch the website or whatever, just go ahead to the right on the blog spot and check out the cool sites. If you want to check out the Death Cakes podcast, and uh, you can see it there in the link over. 
All right, so uh, I guess this is it. So uh, this is Derek, Derek WC, signing off for Crazy Crossover Madness. Boom Boom was ugly at first. Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. It's Mike Thunderwing. Hey, it's Tony Chainclaw. Sludge is still ugly. Peace! Peacemaker's helmet's dumb. <laughs> if it was Sludge... Peacemaker's helmet If it was Sludge, he'd be like, Pear, pineapple, <laughs> peace! <laughs> Parka. <laughs> I love peace so much. You can tell. He's like U.S. agent. He's I like, want... I, you, can, you can tell from my gritted teeth that I love I like I like how you drew the little pink straws going from the beer cans <laughs> into his gritting angry mouth. Like that. That's so good. <laughs> oh, that was fun.